Hello, everybody, and welcome back to Table Talk, discussions of church, theology, and culture. My name is Luke. I am the family and ministry coordinator here at CBC Ilderton, and I'm joined once again by Andrew Hall, lead pastor of CBC Ilderton. Andrew, in our last episode, we began a two-part discussion on the book of Proverbs. We talked a little bit about wisdom literature as a, as a genre of scripture that encompasses more than just the book of Proverbs. And then we also talked a little bit about how the book of Proverbs connects to the rest of scripture, connects to the, the grand story of redemption, connects mm-hmm. to the, the gospel, because so often the book of Proverbs can feel so disconnected from everything else around it in the Bible. So we, we've talked about Proverbs at maybe more of a, a general level, but now we want to discuss in a little more depth on this episode. Let's talk about the book itself. Let's talk about how it was written, who wrote it, who it was written to, and let's then talk a little bit about the the structure, how it's put together. Not only, like we talked about last week, how to understand it in light of scripture, but how to understand what's going on actually within the book of Proverbs itself. Yeah, when we come to the book of Proverbs, we immediately notice, it says in chapter one, verse one, it says, the Proverbs of Solomon, son of David, king of Israel. So it roots us in this context. Mm-hmm. It's, it's coming from Solomon. And we're told in first Kings chapter three, that Solomon, when he asked to, of the Lord for, when, when the Lord said, I'll give you anything. And he asked for discretion and insight that he might have wisdom to govern the people well that the Lord bestowed this great gift upon mm-hmm. him and gave him great wealth along with it. And we're told in 1 Kings 3 that he had over 3,000 Proverbs that he had spoken. And so what we have here is a collection of his Proverbs. And uh, so we know that the book uh, was pulled together long after Solomon because we we have the, the men of Hezekiah, King Hezekiah, who comes much later on in Israel's mm-hmm. history, um, they are co- uh, collecting in chapters 25 through 29 um, many of the sayings of Solomon. It, it actually acknowledges that it's the men of Hezekiah who are collecting the sayings of Solomon. So at, at some later point in Israel's history, this, this book was still being pulled together uh, to prepare a, a future generation of leaders. It was being developed as some sort of manual or some sort of teaching guide or instruction manual for for young men as they would prepare going from youth to entering into the world to um, a life in politics to becoming a king in waiting or potentially a king. And so the the book was intended to to point the men of of a of the nation towards a godly heritage rooted in the covenants that God had given. Uh, the covenants that God had given at Sinai and the covenant that God had given to David that he would have a, a son on the throne forever so that there would be a faithful ruler who would execute wisdom, justice, and equity among the people. There's no doubt that the book of Proverbs is a very difficult book to study and a very difficult book to understand in many ways. But we're, we're kind of lucky in this sense that in terms of who wrote it, uh, why was it written? That part's pretty easy. We don't get this lucky with every single book of scripture to, right. to have such clarity, to have a book just tell us who wrote it and to have other parts of scripture corroborate that. But yeah, in this case, that part is fairly cut and dry. For, for those who take the scripture at its word, 
the book of Proverbs written, written by Solomon, compiled later and written for then the, the, the future kings of Israel. That's kind of the, the context around the book of Proverbs, the author and the intended audience and those sorts of things. Let's talk a little bit about the structure of the book, as is the case in so many Old Testament books and mm-hmm. so much Hebrew literature structure is really important, really key for us to understand even the the meaning of a book like this. And so as you've studied for our Proverbs sermon series, you've, you've no doubt spent a lot of time thinking about the structure of Proverbs. So why don't you talk us through a little bit about what that structure is and how that structure informs how we understand the book. First, we can talk about the macro structure and then we'll talk about the individual pieces, mm-hmm. I think. When we look at the overall flow of the book, one of the questions that has to be asked is, does it have a positive or a negative portrayal of what has happened in Israel's history? Mm -hmm. And we know from the life of Solomon that Solomon's life did not end well. We're told in 1 Kings 11 that he had married many women from other nations trying to find political alliances. Uh, He was trying to be a shrewd politician. And as a result of that, he set up high places. Those are worship places uh, for his wives, for their foreign gods. And at the end of his life, that Solomon had not ended his life well. He, He had not walked in the fear of the Lord. He had... He had set up idols for other gods and 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 the the gods of the nations, and it ultimately would lead to Israel's ruin and its division uh, shortly after his life. Yeah, things really fell apart after Solomon, as you read the the book of First Kings, especially. Yes, and and so I think that the overall, in terms of the macro structure of the book, uh, chapters one through twenty nine are really pointing us to something that is fairly negative. Uh, Just, I think we've got several hints along the way that things are negative. Uh, First, we we get the language in chapter 2, verse 16, that uh, it talks about the forbidden woman, the adulteress with her smooth words. Uh, It's it's also in some places called the foreign woman or a Mm -hmm. footnote. And, and I don't think that that's any surprise because if we have Solomon in mind, what we're thinking about is that the forbidden woman, the, the strange woman, the foreign adulterous woman are those women that, that Solomon had married. It's not speaking negatively about women in general. It's speaking about Solomon and how he failed as a king and that the movement of Solomon's life was a failure in kingship. So I think first off, we need to understand the macro structure of the book, mm-hmm. it's moving in a direction that sees that there was failure on the sake, by the sake of their king. But then if we go to down to the individual levels, what we start to get is uh, there's a pretty clear structure from chapters one through nine. There's about 10 speeches that the father gives to his son. Begins with, my son. That's very clear. Yeah. And, and throughout chapters one through nine, there is this growing development of thought of the father to the son about avoiding adultery, about being wise, about governing. We're told in chapter one to receive instruction in wise dealing in righteousness, justice, and equity. This is what kings were to do. They were to exercise 
these types of actions and behaviors. And so that movement then, it's developing, but it's for a young man. Now, whether he's married or not, by the end of chapter nine, it's it's not clear, but it's very evident that the the, the thought process there is you've got to be a wise young man in the world. And it ends in chapter nine. I would also add this. I pointed this out in my sermon on uh, Sunday, January 15th, that chapter nine really has religious connotations to it. Yeah. That when it speaks about wisdom uh, in chapter nine, it says wisdom has built her house. She's hewn seven pillars slaughtered her beasts, mixed her wine, set her table. She has sent out her young women to call from the highest places in the town. So we have all sorts of temple language and sacrificial language. But in the same way, in chapter 9, verses 13 through 15, what we have is woman folly is also loud, who's seductive. She's sitting at the door of her house, takes her seat on the highest places of the town. And so in a similar way, we can think of the high places that Solomon had set up for the foreign gods. So what we have is this movement, even in chapters one through nine, that is pointing out Solomon's failure, that he failed to follow the fear of the Lord by worshiping God alone. Yeah, and in so many ways that ties back to the conversation we had last week about how grounded the book of Proverbs is in in covenant. Uh, Proverbs one through nine specifically have a whole lot to say about adultery, and we, I think, would be remiss if we, if we have this covenantal understanding in mind, we would be remiss to think that that just ends at the level of physical adultery. It's, it's clear that there, it, all throughout the Bible, there are spiritual connotations to adultery. That's the language of the of the prophets uh, as they describe Israel's unfaithfulness mm-hmm. to God, and so we we see that covenant element again in chapters one through nine shining through very clearly. Yeah, that's right. Because worship, the worship of God and the worship of idols is also connected intimately to human sexuality. Mm -hmm. And uh, the Bible will consistently make that argument. It'll make that argument in Romans chapter one. Yeah. It it makes it clear that, that what we love and pursue will either lead us to God or away from God. That you can have one spouse and one God, or you can have many gods and and chase after the lusts of the flesh. And so uh, what we do have is this clear movement uh, and the clear warning, just like Deuteronomy has, that there are blessings for being obedient to the Lord and there are curses for turning away from him. So that's chapters one through nine. For, for any of you who are listening, who have read the book of Proverbs before, one through nine tends to be the section of Proverbs that makes a lot of sense to us. We can sort of, we can sort of see the structure on the, on the face of it. We, we feel pretty comfortable with it. It flows really nicely. It's a, a very well written and very insightful part of the book. And then, and then you hit chapter 10 and the book of Proverbs really sort of turns on a dime and yeah. sort of changes pretty significantly. And so let, let's talk about the, the next section then of Proverbs, the largest, really, the largest section, chapters 10 through 29. What's all that about? What we have here is we have, uh, I think we could describe it as uh, another five sections that are compiled together. So we know chapters 10 uh, through 22, verse 16, 
are the Proverbs also of Solomon. They're, they're random collections, it seems, at first glance, of, of just general sayings. And so just uh, before you move on from that, uh, for the, the listener's sake, how, how do we know that? So chapters 10 through 22, you say, seem to be one collection. What, what tips us off to that fact? In chapter 10, verse 1, we have just a, a simple heading. And it simply says, the Proverbs of Solomon. Nice and simple, yeah. It's very simple. And then when you get to chapter 22, what you have in chapter 22, verse 17, is another little heading that comes along. And it's just simply these uh, 30, these, these sayings of the wise, incline your ear and hear the words of the wise. So it's a different voice that's speaking. It's not... Uh, in chapters uh, 22, 17 to 24, 22, it's, it's a different voice that's speaking. It's the words of the wise. So we, we get these little markers that if we're watching, it'll tell us this is a different heading. It's, a, it, it's subtle, but that's why digging down deep, looking and investigating helps you discover that there's something else going on here in this book. Yeah, it's, it's very subtle. And it, in many ways, this back portion of Proverbs is, is very much like that. There, there is structure there, but it's definitely not as clear as the structure is in the, the first nine chapters. And so, as you say, we can, especially for those of us who read the book of Proverbs regularly, maybe you have listened to or, or not listened to, but read the book of Proverbs listener on a regular basis. You know, famously 31 chapters makes for a great read one chapter a day of Proverbs. Maybe you've read through chap, uh, through the book of Proverbs more times than you can remember. And it's so easy for us to, to gloss over things and to not see things. But there, there are these little markers throughout the, the seemingly random sections that do help us kind of parse out the, the structure a little bit more. And so was there anything more, Andrew, you wanted to say about chapters 10 through 29 specifically? Yeah, quickly, I'd say you can notice again in chapter 25, verse one, it, it talks about the Proverbs of Solomon, which the men of Hezekiah, king of Judah, copied. Mm-hmm. So we get that there. We also get, um, we also get this sense that there's, there's a movement actually happening in the book. Um, m- one one scholar who's done a fair bit of work on chapters 10 through 29, uh, Chris Ansbury, uh, he doesn't even have his commentary published yet. But one of the things that he suggests is that there is this development of thought in chapters 10 through 29 that there is increased complexity as you go. It starts off with basic information, chapters 1 through 9. By the time you get to chapter 29, it's increasingly complex. Now you've got young kids yeah. at home, and I've got more. Uh, I've got kids who are are more mature, and and so one of the things that that I'm sure would be a difference in our parenting style is that you can give a very clear instruction, a basic instruction to your kids, and they don't need the moral reasoning and explanation for it. Yeah, but when your children get older. You, you obviously have to explain the nuances. You have to explain that life isn't black and white, that while you start off in parenting with black and white instructions, then you're filling in the middle pieces as they get older and trying to explain to them so that they're not these rigid fundamentalists who, who see the world in black and white lenses that there's nuance here. And that's 
Proverbs. That's Proverbs wow. 10 through 29. It's, it's bringing a lot of nuance because while chapters one through nine are really for a, a young man, uh, really chapters 10 through 15 are starting to speak. Uh, Chris Ansbury says this, it's speaking to a young man who's now entering into the world. And so it will speak about about being wise with neighbors, but you drop the language of neighbors and it starts to talk about friendship in chapters 16 through through 21. And it, it drops neighbors because now, now you're having to navigate, uh, Chris Ansbury says, how to be a justice in the world, how to be a magistrate. Then by the time you get to chapters 22 through 24, you're having, he suggests, more mature leadership being offered through a courtier or by chapter 25, some sort of advisor to the king. And that by the time you get to chapters 28 and 29, he suggests this is the king in waiting who is waiting to ascend to the throne. So that's why he says there is this increased complexity as you go from chapters 1 to 29. And that makes a lot of sense of our experience, even of the, the book of Proverbs. It, it, it very much is a simple book in, in Proverbs 1 through 9. It, it very much sounds like the way I might speak to my 20-month-old son and my one-month-old daughter. It's, uh, that is a way, if, if I were speaking to my kids the way you speak to yours, I would be doing something wrong and, and vice versa. I, I hope you're not talking to your kids the way I talk to mine because <laughs> there, there's a few ways in which that might be a little bit weird. But uh, we get to the end of the book of Proverbs and there there's some hard passages in there, yeah. especially especially right at the very end. I know we'll talk about chapters 30 and 31 more specifically, but there there's some things in there that kind of make us feel a little bit uncomfortable. Some Some things that... Uh, seem just a world apart from the the very easy, basic black and white instruction of Proverbs one through nine, and I think this is a great way, a great framework for us to to understand how how can a book be so different from the first chapter mm-hmm. to to the last. What's what's going on there, and to to see this progression of the the son being spoken to, growing in in age and in maturity and in responsibility, I, I think really helps us get a much better sense of what Proverbs is doing and also just roots us even more deeply in the, what in this purpose of Proverbs as the as the the covenantal training manual for for kings. That's right. We could probably take a whole uh, episode and just merely talk about Proverbs 30 and 31 yeah. to be to be honest. Uh, Proverbs 30 and 31 it's complex because it has Agur who we don't know who he is, but he's some sort of noble or official. And he says it uh, in chapter 30, he says, I am weary, O God, and worn out. Uh, Surely I am too stupid to be a man. I have not the understanding of a man. I have not learned wisdom, nor have I learned knowledge of the Holy One. Sure doesn't sound like a teenager in that one. No, it sounds like someone who's hit midlife and had a crisis. That's right. And so you have to understand like why. So going back, the, the book is moving from this, this positive picture of kingship to a failure. The failure, we've got the failure of Solomon in mind. And by the time we get to Agur, it's like, oh my, what a disastrous ruin this is. Um, but Proverbs 30 and 31 are two oracles, and it really ends with this expectation of hope and that hopefulness because they are oracles. The words of Agar, son of Jekka, an oracle, chapter 30, verse 1 says, and chapter 31, it's King Lemuel 
who says that this is an oracle that his mother taught him. Mm-hmm. Uh, so what we have in chapter 31 is the, the woman of, of wisdom that really should be married and who uh, ought to be embraced. And by the time we get to the end of the book, what we have is something surprising, which we should talk about next time. Yeah, absolutely. So look forward to that next time. Our two-part series, it looks like it's going to become a three-part series. So (laughs) Proverbs part three will be coming next week. We look forward to seeing you all there. Thanks for joining us this week. Have a wonderful rest of your week, and we will talk to you next time.